When I was a kid, I used to dream what it would be like to, to live somewhere far away from Hell's Kitchen. Somewhere beautiful. I realized that the city was a part of me, that it was in my blood. I would do anything to make it a better place. If he had an iron suit or a magic hammer, maybe that would explain why you keep getting your asses handed to you. Welcome back, Defenders, to Defenders TV Podcast, Episode 16. This is the home of the Marvel Netflix series Daredevil, a.k.a. Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, and The Iron Fist. And we're looking at Daredevil, Episode 11, The Path of the Righteous. I am one of your hosts, John, also The Iron Fist, who happens to be in a cage, but comes out of that cage on a Sunday to be Jessica Jones. Wow, and I'm the last of your defenders. I'm Derek, lower by day, defender by night. Uh, just two of us here this time. Yeah, just two of us, but we will be preaching on Ezekiel uh, chapter 25, verse 17, the path of the righteous. Oh, no, wrong podcast. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't get the speech from Full Fiction out of my head when I saw the title of this episode, the... Uh, the Path of the Righteous Man uh, is the Ezekiel speech that Samuel L. Jackson quotes just before he shoots someone. Uh, that speech is repeated about three or four times throughout Pulp Fiction. So a nice early reference there for, uh, for on this episode and this podcast, what they could be taking it from. And we also have news and, of course, our regular feedback uh, on this episode as well. And that will all come at the end after our review. And, of course, remember, you can listen to us on DefendersTVPodcast.com forward slash iTunes. You can also listen to us on Stitcher, Player FM or any other good podcast catcher. Remember, um, search for us, Defenders TV Podcast. And, of course, leave a review where you can. That would be great. And as always, if you want to send us any feedback, you can email us to feedback at DefendersTVPodcast.com. Uh, we are now on episode 11. We've only got two more episodes to cover after this one, John. A bit of a sad episode, and unfortunately there is only two of us here to cover it this time. Uh, well, that's it was sad from two perspectives. A, because Irene and Chris obviously aren't here with us to share their thoughts, um, our five points. But also because, um, you know, hats off, um, we do have to say a fond farewell and RIP to Wesley, to yeah. James Wesley. Yeah, yeah sad, sad <laughs> moment, but I'm sure we'll get in. To all the Wesleyites out there, you know, I feel your pain. Definitely. But I think we should crack into the episode and go through our five points. And uh, I think we started off, as usual, with our synopsis. But uh, let us not shoot through those points, um, as I think Wesley had five points um, of red on his shirt. That's true. That's very true. Uh, this episode, episode 11, Path of the Righteous, was written by Stephen DeKnight and Douglas Petrie. So that's our current showrunner and one of the showrunners for season two of Daredevil. Uh, joining up to give us the story of how uh, how Wesley got shot, basically. And this episode was directed by Nick Gomez. This is his first and only episode of this season of Daredevil. We may see him back next season, but uh, just the one this time. John, do you want to start us off with your synopsis for this episode? Sure. Daredevil, episode 11, The Path of the Righteous. 
As Vanessa is rushed to hospital, her life in the balance, events overtake Wilson Fisk as he reflects on the consequences of his chosen path and the events leading up to Vanessa's precarious position. In his own words, he tells Wesley, I told her she would be safest at my side. Meanwhile, Matt continues to wrestle with the fight between himself and Foggy following the reveal of his secret identity. In his despair, a friend arrives, Claire Temple, to patch up his wounds. As she leaves his apartment and the city for a while, she recommends that Matt gets some armour. This advice he most definitely intends on following, as he goes on the lookout for a good tailor. <laughs> With Fisk temporarily distracted from his affairs, Wesley takes up the mantle to find out the truth behind the events at the donor benefit but also to deal with a very unexpected situation that involves Fisk's mother, Marlene Vistain. As Karen continues her crusade to bring down Fisk, she pleads with Benerick, Matt and Foggy for them to do something constructive, to make Hell's Kitchen better before it's too late. However, as she leaves Foggy at Josie's bar, her life intersects with Wesley's, and she does do something. Something that will change everything for her, for Wesley, and for Wilson Fisk. Really good. Tons happened again in this episode, I think. Uh, another another quite detailed synopsis there for me, John, with with tons going on. There was a lot going on in this episode again. Uh, but we've had that a few times now. And mm. some of these episodes are absolutely jam-packed. I think this episode has one of the longest running times, actually. Yes. Um, when you look at the details of the episode, I think this was almost uh, a full 60 minutes, which not all of them have been. Some of them have been 50 or, or 52. So there was a lot to pack into this, yeah. Um, definitely. Yeah, clearly, clearly. So then, uh, Derek, uh, what's one of your five points? All right, my first one is actually at the start of the episode. We were talking last time about uh, Leland Elsley and what, as to whether he's the cause of uh, of the poisoning, essentially, at, uh, at the gala event that Wilson Fisk was holding. Um, I just like the fact that it's le- the the first time you see Leland following everybody into the hospital with uh, with Vanessa, and essentially just kind of starts to to possibly cover up for the fact that he could be involved. He essentially says, are you sure someone shouldn't be checking me out? I drank wine just like she did. Or I drank the champagne just like she did. Um, he gets, he kind of is, is very noticeable for the fact that he's calling out that he, that he drank some of the, some of the champagne. And, um, that was possibly poisoned and caused Vanessa to be taken to the hospital. Yeah, he's very insistent that he also gets checked out because he may have been exposed to whatever uh, caused the poisoning, which we do find out later on as well that three other people who had drank the champagne had died. That's right. Had passed, I believe is the phrase. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it, it was almost a bit too insistent from Leland Owsley that you know he should get checked out. Um, but nonetheless, he is still kind of called upon to sort of investigate what happened and whether it may have been um, Madame Gao even. Yeah. Um, but he has his theory that it could also be Nobu given what happened. But there's an element here, I think, that um, I loved what Wesley said. Um, you know, this episode as well for me is partly all about the Wesley. Mm. I loved what Wesley said um, when he was having a conversation with Fisk about until we know everyone is is a is a potential um, suspect in in this matter, and I loved that. And I, I loved the fact that there was the moment as well in the episode where Fisk essentially tells Wesley to move funds around, mm-hmm. um, but don't tell Leyland. 
the first time where Leyland has almost been taken out of the accountancy and the financials of yes. it. And, and I love that. That just shows a bit of suspicion um, sort of creeping in at the back of this writing uh, on Leyland Owsley, definitely. Yeah, yeah. He does make the point, though, uh, a bit later on in the episode, that uh, essentially whoever is has caused this attack on that has led to Vanessa going to the hospital and potentially could have led to the death uh, of Wilson Fisk. Um, he essentially says they almost got me for God's sake. Um, he's again throwing himself in the middle there, th- trying to throw some doubt that he could be suspected of this uh, of this attack, um, trying to throw possibly he was the target of this attack because he was previously attacked by. Uh, by the um, the vigil- masked vigilante in an earlier episode. So I like how Lilo Nasley's playing this in this episode. I like that he's trying to divert attention from himself throughout uh, throughout the episode. Really good. Definitely. And, he, and he's there to help as well. So not only is he sort of trying to make the point that he needs checking out and he may have been affected, but he's also being the um, attentive servant. Like he still has some of his quips, such as, I mean, he looks around in the hospital that they've come to and he says, this is a rat hole. You know, yeah. He's still um, got his sort of sarcastic comments, a few of the quips, some of them, you know, really funny. I think he talks about Madame Gao taking something out of a fortune cookie and some mystical mumbo jumbo, yeah. which, you know, was, um, <laughs> I mean, that was pretty sly, but it, it, it was it was funny. Um, but he's still being the attentive, sort of dutiful kind of, um, member of this team going off to Gao, so he's hiding it well. If if he is indeed behind uh, this, and so there's a lot of intrigue uh, surrounding uh, Owsley here now that could play out in the next uh, couple of episodes. Yeah, yeah. The fact that he keeps pushing for Wilson Fisk to get back to the job as well is quite interesting. He seems to just think that that Wilson will leave Vanessa alone. He seems to think that he'll uh, he'll. He shouldn't be as affected as he is by this. Uh, he should be able to get back to work very quickly. These guys haven't stopped their attack. If they've attacked once, they're going to attack again. And Wilson needs to back away from Vanessa and take back the reins of his organization, which is, again, putting him in opposition to Wilson and and, and to Wesley, uh, in a sense. Yeah, you know? yeah, definitely. Um, so, John, what's your first point for this episode? Um, well, my first uh, read point on a crisp white Wesley shirt is um, it has to be for me this is all about Wesley this episode given what happens and it is quite simply R.I.P. Wesley that kill shot or multiple kill shots from Karen um, on Wesley after the kind of interrogation kind of almost face-off scene i loved how that was established uh, on the table the two of them facing off one another the two in a sense um you know it's the right hand man of, of fisk but it's also um you know the personal assistant to foggy and nelson it, it's the secretary it's the right hand person that you would think of in an office situation yeah and um, it, it's the two bureaucrats but both sort of absolutely committed to their respective causes face facing one another um and and the scene is just absolutely great i mean it's um i'm really sad that uh, toby leonard moore who plays wesley obviously now is no longer we're not going to see him in the final two episodes maybe in flashback possibly or something like that but yeah. you know james wesley was a good character this is a big 
killing. This is a big uh, removal of a what I think a superb character uh, played really well by Toby Leonard Moore. Mm-hmm. I think he will totally be sorely missed to to continue with the sort of death <laughs> type phrases. Yeah. He will be sorely missed because he was such a great um I don't want to use sidekick, but right-hand man to Wilson Fisk. I loved their dynamic. It was one of the things that I just really uh, tuned into um, for, you know, Daredevil so far. And it will be interesting to see how that dynamic now plays out for 12 and 13, Mm -hmm. uh, those episodes. Because I just I I, I loved James Wesley as the character. I thought uh, he was played really well. But the scene, I think, is quite frankly... Um, just a, a amazing and, and it sets up a lot of other aspects as well you know you do hear and um, this real sort of ruthlessness from wesley mm. as he says that no i won't kill you um you know i think they, they've had this chit chat and um karen has basically now said that um just kill me i don't want to hear any more of your you know bullshit and he says i won't kill you I think I might go after Ben Urich first. Yeah. And then I might go after your two lawyer friends, Matt and Murdoch, Matthew Murdoch and, and Foggy Nelson. And then I might go after your loved ones, your family, your friends. And then I just think the phrasing of it the, is so powerful. He says, and when you have no tears left to shed, then we'll come for you. Yeah. Like properly brutal and ruthless um, and a great bit of dialogue and speech from uh, Wesley and fittingly for some of his last words as well so really 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 good and I just um, I can't say enough how much I thought this scene played out really well Um, and part of me was like I wish it hadn't been Karen that had shot him but actually I thought the more I thought about it afterwards I just thought it was perfect that it was her I think the two of them Wesley ideologically committed to what uh, Wilson is doing, even though, and again, in his own words, he doesn't really care much for this city. He's doing it for Wilson. Um, And then Karen, again, throughout this episode, he has been trying to bring Matt, Foggy and uh, Ben into doing something, again, committed to actually stopping Fisk. So I, I loved the this meeting of these two and, and how it panned out was really good. Yeah, definitely. I can't say a huge amount more. This is a, it's it's one of the best scenes of the series so far for, for Wesley. I love that when he starts talking to uh, to Karen initially, he sets himself up very quickly as a person that doesn't think of her as anything at all. He says, we made you a reasonable offer. You were supposed to take it and just disappear to wherever people like you disappear to. Really uh, really just just dismissive of Karen and now she's become come back and become something even worse that could cause some major trouble for Fisk he knows absolutely what happens when uh, when someone finds out the story of uh, of Fisk's murder of his father he knows that this could come back and really hurt them and he wants to threaten her so badly um the idea again as you threw up where he says he hates New York and he's only there because Fisk loves the city and he needs Wesley uh, the fact that he needs him, what's going to happen to Wilson Fisk now um, that he doesn't have Wesley by his side? He was only missing for a very short time from the hospital and Wilson's already on the phone trying to find him despite being surrounded by 
tons of other men. Um, interesting to see what happens. Yeah, well, he pops his head out of Vanessa's room looking for, for Wesley just to get a coffee. Yeah. And he's nowhere to be seen and kind of awkwardly asks another one of his men to go and get him a coffee. And I think he has to actually spell out how he likes it, like no sugar and so on. Yeah. And it's just really, really good. And just that attention to to detail. I think as well, just my final point on this was just that before and after he has been shot by Karen, I love the fact that it essentially goes to Wilson Fisk trying to call him on the phone. Mm. And in fact, the phone call distracts Wesley enough that Karen can reach for the gun to put him in that predicament and that situation where then he gets shot. And then after he's shot again, uh, the, the phone call is Wilson Fisk again trying to contact him. Uh, n- looking concerned, but not knowing the full reality of how concerned actually he should be. Yeah. And it, I thought that was in some way as well quite touching because these are two, um, two guys who are friends. Mm. You know, Vanessa has called that out. You've seen, um, Wesley say that sometimes you need me, um, you know, even though you don't know it. Yeah. Um, you know, their confidence and there is a mutual respect there between them and I, I just thought that was lovely the way it was paced with the the phone calls from Wilson Fisk either side of that shooting. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And we had kind of intimated there might be something else between Wilson and Wesley in a previous episode. Uh, I definitely think there is a moment in this episode when Wilson is essentially saying his final words. He doesn't know it at the time, but saying his final words to Wesley where he's about to say something uh, very important to him, very um very much about him being the closest person to him, at, at the least, I suppose you'd say, uh, and then stops for a moment and thanks Wesley, basically, which I thought was quite interesting. And yeah, one of the other big pities about the scene is essentially that he's wearing a white shirt, as you've mentioned a couple of times. It's five bullets in the chest. You can see them penetrating the back of the seat. This is definitely not a Wesley was wearing a, a bulletproof vest and he's coming back in season two. That's that's the end of Toby S. Moore's character in the show. Such a sad way to go. Yeah, I mean, I actually I really liked how the the bullets went through the the back of the chair and mm. exploded the wood out. I thought that was a nice touch of realism on that shooting. And obviously, uh, Wilson Fisk doesn't believe in sharing out his expensive suits. Oh, obviously, um, which he might come to regret. Obviously, yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah be shedding a few tears for poor old James Wesley, mm-hmm. um, you know. But a uh, great character and has been played brilliantly by Toby Leonard Moore um, throughout Daredevil um, this, this first season. And uh, as I say, um, it's a shame he's been shot five times. But um, yeah, um, be interesting to see maybe who uh, replaces um, him and fills that void for Wilson Fisk, it hopefully, and maybe Vanessa. So, uh, Derek, what's your second point? Uh, my second point, you kind of had, had mentioned it a moment ago, but there's tons more to talk about, I think. It's in regard to Karen and essentially her trying to get Matt and Foggy and Ben back on her side now that she has this, what she thinks is a huge piece of information on Wilson Fisk's past. And I love how it's been done because we, we talked about it last episode about really disliking Karen's character, really disliking what she did with Ben Ulrich by dragging him away from his wife who he just commented on that he wanted to stay with uh, stay with her and give up on give up all these cases ben takes her to task over this he just specifically yeah. says that um you know if he hadn't been dragged up to this place that was 
you know, a place that could have been a hopeful residence for his wife, who's been in hospital and being thrown out of hospital. He was he was under the impression that she was doing something nice for him, and she essentially dragged him up to continue the investigation with Kingpin. He simply says to her, "You could have just told me, you know. I could then make made my decision. There's nothing special about me going there. It's still an old woman who could be telling the truth, may not be telling the truth. What's going to happen if he writes the news story?" It could be just thrown out very quickly. Wilson Fisk could easily go on TV and say, I was, you know, a young child and I regret it. I didn't didn't want to have those memories brought up, you know. I uh, thought that was really interesting. Yeah, no, I loved how uh, Ben Ulrich, um was allowed in this episode to say directly to Karen that, you know, she was bang out of order. It was really difficult to watch in the previous episode, how Karen just manipulated the situation and almost just didn't listen to um his his reasoning why he had to remove himself from the investigation yeah. and i just thought it was really good that um ben could then you know tackle that towards her directly um you know on the the docks uh, overlooking manhattan i thought yeah, that was swans. very good yeah. yeah with the swans the photobombing swans <laughs> um that was very funny yeah i put it up on twitter there um just before we just before we recorded just said that uh, it was really interesting seeing the uh, seeing the swans in the background of the scene and christos gage one of the uh, one of the directors and writers for the show um essentially said that the uh, the swans were divas and they were eating weed all day so uh, <laughs> <laughs> so very good but I mean, I definitely loved his logic as well. You know, he kind of, he was able to just tear her apart there mm-hmm. and say, you know, let's just see how this plays out. You know, you're emotionally invested in this. You're running around. So all your might, um, do something to Wilson Fisk to, to get him, uh, arrested, to reveal who he is or how you think he is. But let's just see how this plays out. You know, that a scared little kid trying to protect his mother, a mother who really doesn't remember very well, um, and actually has Alzheimer's. How is this going to play out in the media? And it's not going to be the way you think it is. And for me, a lot of, what happens here, the way uh, Ben Urich, the way uh, Matt and the way Foggy respond back to Karen um, is really good. It, it gave me my um, light bulb moment with regards to Karen. It's like anyone who doesn't understand why you can't do something and you feel as though you're being prevented from doing it because there's other people reasoning at you because maybe they know that terrain such as newspapers and the media or the law better than she does she just wants to see justice yeah and she's thinks she's giving them stuff that can take the case from a to b from wilson fisk to wilson fisk in prison yeah uh, following a court trial and i love that she is almost it's just like born of frustration that why are you telling me that nothing can happen even though I know this information? And for me, it's as plain as day that he's guilty and needs to go to prison. Yeah, she believes she's on the path of the righteous, essentially, which is another Absolutely. allusion to the, to the title of the episode, definitely. Uh, and as I, as I said, this is about Karen's journey throughout the episode, this particular point of mine. It is about her talking to Matt and telling him exactly what she knows now. Matt instantly says... Well, Fisk could be watching you. Why are you putting yourself in danger again? I've told you not to do that. And he doesn't believe this information is going to actually help uh, put Fisk in prison, despite how much Karen seems to believe it is. Um, Karen then talks to Foggy about it in Joshi's bar. Again, Foggy responds with, it was 40 years ago. It it won't matter. Not enough, 
essentially. Yeah, he was a minor at the time. Um, you know, he could claim that he was protecting his mother. Exactly. It was actually maybe, you know, immediately reduced down to manslaughter, but it's manslaughter of a minor. Yeah. It's 40 years ago. There's the... You know, it's there's a whole load of different legalese coming into play that they're using to say, um, in their desperate moments, actually, that this really doesn't help yeah. like you think it does. Yeah. Um, but I do like the following moment with Karen when she's walking down the street just before she gets taken by Wesley, um, where she tries calling Ben because essentially she's lost her two best friends. They're both fighting with each other and not talking to her and not taking on board what she's saying to them, uh, even though Ben has told her off. Um, she she really is at her wit's end. She she has nobody else to call, so she calls Ben and starts it off essentially by saying, are you still mad at me? So she has now finally, finally, after all of these uh, encounters with, the, with all the characters, it's finally getting through her head that some things aren't as important as her investigation into Wilson. Just because she's found a piece of information doesn't mean it's the one piece that's going to bring down Wilson Fisk. But at least Ben can kind of talk her down off the ledge. She really does seem like she's losing it. She she seems like she's about to crack now that her two best friends have fallen out. Um, and yes, yeah, she finally gets someone to speak. She, she just wants a moment just to talk to someone to know that tomorrow she'll be able to talk to him again is enough for her to, to, to carry on, essentially. And then she gets taken by Wesley. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I like her arc in this episode. I think it's really, really good. And brings me kind of back on side with Karen a little bit after last week's episode. The actual arc of her in that episode is very well written to make me dislike her as much as I did by the end of the episode. But now I'm back on side with her. I now understand her motivations. I now understand she's finally taking on board what her friends are saying to her is really good. No, I agree. I think it was really good that uh, Ben could tackle Karen about her insensitivity from the previous episode. But I also do like the fact that she has for explicitly for the first time justified why she's doing it to mm -hmm. them she's reasoning with them she's pleasing with them and she's trying to recruit them all back in because they are the ones that seem to be dropping off from this investigation yeah. and she I mean, she's basically saying that Wilson Fisk is still out there and Hell's Kitchen is not going to get any better until people um, until he's gone. Yeah. So I that I just thought was really nice. Yeah. I, I'm I'm with you there. I I liked this redemptive arc um, of Karen Page in, in this episode. Yeah. And that's all I had at that point. John, do you want to give us your next point? Yeah. I think my second red blood-soaked dot on a nice crisply laundered um, white shirt of Wesley's um, has to be um, again linking in with Karen. I thought. The story around her in this episode really brought about a bit of intrigue. I loved that, um, you know, during that scene between Karen and Wesley, he's there and he says, I'm not going to kill you. I have a job for you to do. It's like he has seen something in her that Ben Urick, Matt, Foggy haven't. He goes through it and he says, you know, you're able to... Um, encourage people to um, persuade people to do things that maybe they wouldn't necessarily do. Mm -hmm. You have these talents that I'm going to um, utilize. And I thought that added a huge amount of intrigue for me to the character of Karen Page, um, definitely. And I loved that. But at the same time, I loved the fact that ultimately, when it came to the crunch, Wesley 
underestimates her still. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Karen takes him out. The person he would probably least expect to be taken out by, he is taken out by. He completely underestimates what she's capable of. Yeah. And I think that then comes into another point there, which is, you know, when she says to him, do you really think this is the first time I've shot someone? Mm-hmm. And immediately you kind of go, oh, right, okay. Who, where, when, why, you know, what is going on here? What's she done? Why has she been in that position before? Because at the start of this season, she is cast as the damsel in distress, you Mm -hmm. know, being hunted down and being framed for someone's murder. And then ultimately being told throughout the course of this season that she is a small cog in a bigger wheel, as Wesley says in their fatal face-to-face chat. I mean, it was uh, really just great um, sort of intrigue elements coming in from Karen uh, all over the place here yeah. um, in, in this scene. And I, I really liked it. I, I thought it really added um, a huge amount more to this character who has been cast in the role of almost the, the pesky mosquito buzzing around, forcing the point mm-hmm. um, to, to investigate these things. And she's getting the moment to become bigger and her from this intrigue from wesley and um and from her own comments but also her reasoning as you mentioned before about why she's doing this um, and i i love that i thought it was really really good yeah yeah i'm, I'm wondering how much more we're going to get of it this season i wonder is it going to be something that they'll save for season two the backstory of karen um but yeah i'm really liking it we have mentioned it in the past and they have called out her backstory a couple of times i think we have um so i'm intrigued Definitely by this uh, for this particular statement. So, Derek, um, what's your third point? Uh, my next point is actually about um, Matt's healing ability. Just another little point. They do bring it in here. Um, we've been wondering. He's been beaten, broken, stabbed, shot, uh, <laughs> uh, sliced and diced, as they uh, slice and dice. Yeah. Um, and he specifically says that the meditation that he does accelerates his healing. And he specifically says this Claire Temple when she's with him. She's a doctor and wondering how he's able to heal himself so quickly. And he he pretty much calls it out that his meditation and potentially his the radiation that's within his blood from uh, or within his eyes, um, I suppose, um, could be helping as well. But uh, but yeah, he's I like that they've specifically called it out. But but Claire does tell him to go off and get some armor, regardless of the amount of meditation he does. He's going to die at some point if he doesn't uh, take care of himself a little better. Yeah, it was interesting to see the technique and um, to recover from from his wounds and mm. some of those flashbacks again to that really sort of brutal fight with Nobu and, and the beat down from Fisk. Yeah. Um, again, another one of those, ooh, that, that's going to hurt moment um, was definitely when Claire Temple was stitching up the big wound on the side of his torso yeah. where the, the hook part of Nobu's weapon had gotten caught. Um, it looks so realistic. I love um, how it was done, and I would love to know how the the makeup artists sort of create something like that. It Definitely. looks so realistic. Yeah, um, maybe Aaron was right. Maybe they did just do all this stuff to poor Charlie Cox and uh, just paid him a little extra money. <laughs> you know, <laughs> a little, little more money and a, a couple of pints of blood yeah, as well. We'll cut you open and sew you back together again. <laughs> One of the things I would have liked to have seen about the healing, though. Um, while he's there focusing on on areas of his body that are that have been cut 
in the fight with Nobu. Uh, I would have liked to have seen maybe a little bit of healing actually taking place. I don't know, maybe that would have break, broken the realism. Maybe they couldn't do something like that. Even just a lightening of some of the scars, maybe something like that to show that it is actually the it is actually healing at an almost superhuman level. But maybe that would have broken the show a little bit. Given that it's tried to avoid the superhuman side, maybe it would have broken the show a bit. I definitely know what you mean. I think it could have um, done with some of that healing. Not to say that all of a sudden he's got no scars and he's got no wounds. Yeah. But even maybe just a couple of the lighter wounds, just an increase, a slight increase in their healing. Because the, partly um, at one point I thought I was going to get taken out of it because, um, you know, he then dons the, the costume and he's kind of been agonizing in, in, in pain from his wounds when yeah. he's been speaking with Father Lantham in the church, when he was obviously being stitched back up by um, Claire Temple. And actually when he then goes down to pick up the, the black suit again. Mm -hmm. And the next thing, we do see him fighting um, in the streets and obviously with um, Melvin Potter in Melvin Potter's uh, studio where yeah. he, he makes all these um, armoured suits for Fisk. But I thought that was going to take um, me out of it a bit because I thought, is he up to this? You know, I'm like a concerned um, parent. I was there going, should he really be out there? You know, yeah. kind of like Claire Temple going, you know, you need to rest up. Um, and you're right. He shouldn't <laughs> yeah. be out there. He should but, be resting up. But. And I thought that he was going to sort of, you know, just be doing all his stuff again. But I did like the grimaces. And, and you could see, like, the, the attempt to hold back um, the pain so that his um, opponents don't know that he's hurting yeah. as much as he did. So I thought that was a really nice little nod. Um, and, of course, it didn't take me out of the moment. And... I just loved what they did there. Again, those subtle little um, uh, expressions from Charlie Cox in those fight scenes really helped to convey the fact that he was hurt and that this fighting was taking its toll on him yeah. more than it would do normally when when he was healthy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, John, do you want to give us your next point? Yeah, my next uh, point, my third uh, blood-soaked bullet wound through a nice crisp white laundered shirt. Um, <laughs> again, it's to do with the Wesley. Um, you know, and I promise I, they're not all about Wesley for this episode. But uh -huh. for me, this was a big Wesley episode, like it was a big Karen episode. And it almost was slightly like Wesley breaking character a bit by going off-piste sort of onto the range. Now, in the end, it wasn't, I because it, it is addressed. It's the fact that Fisk is so concerned about Vanessa, he's by his side for the whole of this episode, yeah. that in order for his business affairs and for his criminal affairs to continue, Wesley has to go off and attend to them. So you see him dealing with Leyland Owsley about telling him, you know, go back to Madame Gao, find out what's happening. Mm -hmm. And he's reporting back to Fisk. Fisk isn't really telling him what to do. And then, obviously, there's the call from, from his mum. And he then fatally decides to go after Karen. Yeah. And all of this was very much off-piste for me because it was something whereby he would normally have consulted with Wilson. Mm -hmm. He would have been directed by Wilson and um, Fisk to the actions that are required. It took me back to um, where they were sat down with Hoffman saying that we want to act on facts, not how we perceive them. The issue with Detective Blake was that, not that he lost a phone, 
but that he didn't report it in. And here we have Wesley not reporting in his actions to Wilson Fisk. Yeah. Because he feels in this moment he needs to allow Wilson Fisk, almost time alone, a, a normal human moment um, without interruption. And, in, and so he goes off piste and does his own thing to sort out the situation uh, without consulting with um, with Wilson Fisk. Yep. And I thought that was a really interesting little twist on his character, given that the two of them are so um, tight. But I understand why he did that. Yeah. Um, and even then, just when we hear about his view of the, the city, that he doesn't like it, you know, the crush of the unwashed... Um, and the layer of filth that you can never re- remove, just that slight difference in opinion to to Wilson Fisk, I just thought it added a nice little texture to this character. Yeah. And I just really like that portrayal of Wesley, that him doing his own thing, not being directed necessarily by Wilson Fisk, and ultimately having you know, huge consequences for him, mm-hmm. but also for Wilson Fisk who uses him so much to to do his his work. Yeah, it's an interesting point and one of the other things that stood out to me is where he chose to bring Karen was an abandoned warehouse. Um it wasn't the abandoned warehouse where where Hoffman was brought by Fisk and and Wesley. It was a different one, definitely by the layout of it. Um so I'm wondering will he be found and when will his body be found, you know? Um they may be able to track his mobile phone, but I presume as criminals in the underworld they may not be able to track his phone either. So um, so I'm wondering, will his body be found by the end of the 13th episode or will Wesley just have disappeared into the night uh, for a while until they check each individual warehouse that's owned by Fisk, uh, which I presume he owns quite a few given his business. Um, but yeah, I'm wondering. It's, it's interesting that he didn't tell anybody where he was going and also chose somewhere that potentially Karen's body wouldn't have been found in if he did have to kill her. Uh, yeah, definitely. It, it felt slightly out of character, but it was justified given how overtaken by the events of Vanessa's poisoning um, Wilson Fisk was. Um, You know, he was distracted. Um, He needed to spend time next to Vanessa. You have Wilson Fisk talking to Vanessa about how, you know, he's not a religious man, he's not godly, Mm. and I can't pray for you, but I'll make this promise to you that whoever it is that did this, I will find them. You know, he's got a singular goal here. Um, at this moment in time that takes him out of all the other operations that he's he's doing and to an extent what I feel takes him out of how he normally proceeds um, with Wesley and how Wesley normally would proceed with him. So it takes them out of their sort of operational comfort zone to an yeah. extent yeah. and it leads ultimately to tragic uh, consequences. Yeah, definitely. But I liked it. I really liked how it was done. Yeah, yeah. Just speaking of the religious elements that you talked about there with Wilson Fisk, I do like that element and that's kind of my next point was about the religious elements within the episode. Um, I'll, I'll go obviously on Fisk's one there. Essentially, he specifically says, I'm not a Christian. My father wasn't. My mother tried to be, but didn't teach me how to be. Uh, I never learned. I just learned to recite words, but there was never any meaning behind it. It was an imitation of faith. So he can't pray for Vanessa, but he essentially makes a threat that if he will find the people who did it and, and uh, make them pay, essentially. Um, Do you think he did it better than Liam Neeson? <laughs> a little bit. From little Taken? Bit. A little bit. <laughs> Not a huge fan of the movie Taken, but, uh, but I, I, I'm a huge fan of this show and a huge fan of Wilson Fisk. Um, on top of that, then we had uh, Claire Temple talking about uh, her memory from Sunday school. So, so she is intimating that she 
was a Christian in the past, perhaps a lapsed Catholic, um, similar to Mass kind of thing. Um, but she essentially says the thing that she does remember from Sunday school is the saints, saviors, and martyrs from Sunday school always ended up in the same way, bloody. Um, so and it's, alone. Absolutely, and essentially saying that Daredevil, or what Matt's trying to do, is leading him down the path of being a martyr. And Matt brings this to Father Lantham. Um, essentially, this this element of his life that he felt when he was a kid as a Christian, that the reason he got the gifts he got was because it was God's path that was chosen for him, the path of the righteous, essentially, uh, was chosen for him. And now, at this stage, he now feels he's got the devil inside him, that he is holding back. Uh, it's trying to leap out all the time and destroy Matt and destroy the people around him, but he's keeping it back, he's keeping it at bay. Um, I really do like these elements of the of the episode. I know the show has quite a religious element to it, and it's really important to to have that, but I really like how it was put together in this particular episode, and I suppose that's what you get when you put the actual showrunner plus the showrunner for the second season getting together on an episode. It's a, It shows what they want to do and, and how they want to guide the character, really. Yeah, definitely. I, I had kind of... When Fist talks to Vanessa about not being um, religious and not being able to pray, you immediately go to the opposite side of, of, of I suppose, the church and God. And you maybe, you think, if it's not atheism, you think then of the devil. Mm -hmm. You think of the bad because people who don't go to church according to religion obviously um aren't necessarily going to follow a righteous path or, or be saved mm -hmm. or, or know the power and the word of God. So you kind of think he, it's like he's setting himself up as a devil figure, but then mirrored against that is Matt speaking to Father Lantern saying, why did God put the devil in me? Yeah. And because they are both and have the same purpose, they want to achieve it in different ends, is it that Wilson Fisk is innately evil um, to the to the core um, in that sense, and Matt is trying the righteous um, path of trying to become a better person, mm -hmm. to not allow that to consume him that like it has maybe done with Wilson Fisk. I don't know. This seems like it's drifting possibly into a theology podcast yeah. at this stage. Or the other Defenders podcast. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But I do like these um, the, these dual treatments of, of these two principal characters. Mm -hmm. um, and again, we have it here from a religious point of view, which yeah. is great. Yeah, definitely. Uh, one other thing that did obviously jump out to me about that specific scene with Father Lantham is that uh, Matt's just told him that he's the mass vigilante as well. Um, definitely. <laughs> definitely jumped out to me. I wasn't expecting him to talk and to, to reveal that. Um, but it, it turns out that Lantham knew all along. And that's essentially why he's been trying to get Matt back into the church to talk to him and sit sit him down since the first time um, Matt came into him in the in the confessional in the first episode. Uh, he's essentially saying, I'm not an idiot. I, I knew exactly what you were doing. The more you come in here, the more beaten up you are. And there's this mass vigilante in the city. So a uh, nice little um, t turn of the trope of comic book movies on its head. Um, this guy can't hide the fact that he's getting beaten up because if someone sees him every day and puts two and two together, it'll they'll be able to reveal that he is the mass vigilante. So yeah, I thought that was really good. Yeah, I think Father Lantern just simply says, I've got a pretty good idea of who you are and what you do. And it's just a yeah. matter of fact way of saying, I know you're the mass vigilante, Absolutely. the man in black. Yeah. Um, the man with the mask um, you know great yeah Re really really good yep that was kind of my point on the religion element uh, John do you want to give us your fourth point my fourth point is a, a small red clean shot uh, on uh, 
a nice crisp uh, laundered and tailored shirt from uptown new york um and that is some comments that fisk uh, made um they, they made me chuckle and and then the other one had a, a deeper resonance and the mm. first one was i actually loved when they race in with vanessa into the hospital and um he goes to follow Vanessa, who's on a gurney, mm -hmm. into the operating um, theatre or into the hospital ward. Uh, and the, the nurse just puts up her hands and stops him. And he goes, don't you know who I am? And this just goes straight over her. And I love the sort of humbling of Wilson Fisk here by this nurse who says, you know, it doesn't matter, sir. Fill out the forms and we'll up you and we'll update you on her condition. Mm -hmm. I just thought it made me chuckle that this all-powerful man being held back um, by a nurse, uh, I, I just really liked that. And certainly because it was made quite obvious that the hospital was um, a rat hole by Leyland Owsley, yeah. that maybe in a private hospital where, you know, he's paid for for the care, he would probably be allowed through. They They would see him as this this paying customer who is entitled to to go where he he likes to an extent yeah. whereas in this case you know um a a hard working nurse has the power to stop um wilson fisk in his in his tracks yeah and then the 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 other one and it's something actually that you've alluded to already is just um very quick is that wilson fisk turns to wesley and says thank you after they're chatting about the the situation essentially wilson fisk is talking about that he's going to lose vanessa he he talks to wesley about the promises that he made her that she was going to be safe by mm -hmm. his side that he wants wesley and only wesley to make these arrangements for vanessa to recuperate because at this stage then they know she's out of danger and to do it off books and um, and after that he just says thank you and i think given what happened at the end of the episode that resonated um, through the episode uh, even more and certainly after the episode then for me yeah. um, just that little moment between the, these two guys so that that's my fourth point is just these, these few little um, uh, comments and, and, and bits of dialogue from Wilson Fisk I thought were just nice little moments uh, within this uh, pretty meaty episode again yeah. Yeah, definitely. I've really, really enjoyed uh, Wilson Fisk in this episode again. He's he's a great character, and uh, and I like what they give him to do here. It's uh, it's definitely seeing him kind of crack apart a little bit at the possibility that he may lose Vanessa. It's it's really well done. Yeah, it's it's that idea that he says that at one point he thought he was complete, mm -hmm. um, and since Vanessa's arrival, um, and maybe even to an extent, because he's talking to Wesley at this point, that with both of them he realises that he wasn't. Yeah. Um, he needed other people to share his vision and to be involved in his his affairs, you know? So, yeah, it was really some nice little moments, though, with Wilson. And again, especially between Wilson, Fisk and Wesley. Um, there's been some great ones throughout this whole season. So, again, it's just another nod to James Wesley. So, Derek, with that, what's your fifth point? Uh, my last point, I you can't really avoid it, I suppose, Um Sometimes these episodes may feel like there's a fight of the week. I suppose if you're watching them every single week, we don't always talk about them. But for me, it's Melvin Potter. Chris introduces to the fact that Melvin Potter was a former comic book character called The Gladiator. And this is the character who makes all of Wilson Fisk's suits. 
in the comic books, he is a character that uh, that essentially makes armor for uh, for the people and armor for himself. They definitely make references to this to the comic book character of Melvin Potter. Um, he is a he is a fighter in the in the comics. He is someone that will beat uh, beat down against Matt. He's a very strong kind of battler in the episode, as a I suppose as a reflection of the character in the comic book. I see him as more of a wrestling uh, style in what he does when he picks. Uh, Matt up and throws him on the ground like a wrestling move, something that The Rock might do in in the WWE, you know. Um, and then you kind of get a, a bit of a softer side to him, which I think is really good. Uh, this is the fight of the episode, but it is also a moment where Matt finds potentially a new ally as well, someone that was going to build him a symbol, build him his suit. Um, really, really good, and just a, a nice little touch. Essentially, is that um, Melvin Potter says the reason why he works for Fisk is because Fisk has tra- threatened. Um, Betty, a girl that helps him out, and um, that is a reference to in the comic books again, as as Chris would be, uh, as Chris would say, um, it is a reference to his girlfriend in the comic books, or a girl that takes care of him and sorts him out when he's when he has has bad days, or is uh, or sorts him out when he's committing a crime. Betsy is the one that takes care of him in the comic books, so there is definitely a connection there um, between the two. So that's my one. Uh, it's about the Melvin Potter fight. I think it's really really good. Yeah, it was nice that um, Melvin Potter, that he's fully realized here and that he's not simply just a bad guy's lackey. Um, You know, he's almost been held to ransom um, with um, threats that Betsy will will get it in some way. Mm -hmm. Um, So hopefully we will see Betsy um, at some point or get a little nod to her. Um, Something like that would be really good. Mm -hmm. I think one of the things that... um, this is little Easter egg uh, zone here. Unfortunately, we don't have our Easter egg specialist uh, Chris on board, but there is in the workshop plans and and drawings that are laid out on, on a on a flip chart that do um, give the symbol of um, the gladiator, um, and it so it would appear as though Melvin Potter um, is making himself. His own suit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah. when he becomes the gladiator. It's very interesting. I wonder, will we see that in this season or not? Or will it be next season? I don't actually know whether Melvin Potter, is, sorry, the gladiator is a, is a good guy or a bad guy in terms of that. Yeah, he is a villain. Yeah. Oh, he is. Okay. Yeah, so it's interesting. I wonder, wonder if that, how that will play out. Because I wondered whether he would team up with um, Daredevil, given that he seems that he would be thankful if the man in the black mask would stop Wilson Fisk from threatening and holding him to ransom. I just wondered whether there might be some team-up, but I wasn't entirely sure whether he was a, a general baddie or a goodie, but maybe they'll flip something here. Absolutely. Again, it, it's that idea that maybe the show will change or mix up or develop aspects of the comics. So definitely. it'll be interesting to see here now uh, on that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. And I think it, it is quite interesting, perhaps... Daredevil's the one that pushes over the edge and there there are no longer any threats from Wilson Fisk because he carries out the threat. You know, could be interesting. Could be interesting to see. Um, that's my point, John. What's your final point? Um, well, my final uh, and fifth point, which is now just one big red blob uh, because <laughs> all the wounds have um, sort of merged into one. So right. the shirt is no longer white, mm. big lip, sad. Um, it's just a red shirt because of the five bullet points. Is... Actually, it's relating back to uh, Melvin Potter. Mm -hmm. And within that 
workshop, Matt Murdock says that he wants Melvin and asks Melvin to make a symbol. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is one of the big um, explicit sort of references, I thought, now to um, to Batman. Yes. Um, and I think there was others in this episode as well that sprung to mind when um, Claire Temple is there stitching him up. And they're talking about um, Matt Murdock wants to make this city a better place. She kind of comes back to him and says that the city also made you, and um, that there would always be someone or something. There's not just simply this big bat in the form of Wilson Fisk. And that very much reminds me of this relationship that Bruce Wayne has with Gotham mm-hmm. in the same way that Matt Murdock has with New York. New York shaped him in terms of being in Hell's Kitchen. That's why he wanted to become a lawyer to do good. Um, his accident in the city shaped him ultimately to have these enhanced powers that he's able to see through touch and sound and heat and so on. Yeah. That in the same way that Bruce Wayne was shaped by his the city from the murder that took place of his parents, but also wants to give back to the, the city through Wayne Enterprises. Okay, one's a billionaire, one most certainly isn't in the shape of Matt Murdock and Daredevil. But I like those comparisons. I mean, it's one of those stories to me that really just um, resonates to me. And I I like that they have these kind of uh, references um, here to that, both in in Melvin Potter's workshop, but also by Claire Temple. So that's that's my final point, those kind of similarities there. Obviously, we do Gotham TV podcast, and the more I see these, the the basis of of Batman and Gotham and Daredevil and New York, how intertwined the two cities and um, superheroes, not necessarily with magical powers or divine powers or whatever, um, but with practical powers and how they uh, really seem quite similar to an extent. Yeah, yeah, no, I totally get that. And don't think it's because of our coverage of Gotham that that stood out to you. I think it is definitely a reference to Batman. The fact that Matt is saying that he wants to create a Daredevil suit that is a symbol is a direct reference to the Dark Knight trilogy. It is a direct reference to uh, to Christian Bale's Batman saying that he wants Batman to be a symbol that anybody can take up and whenever whenever anybody sees the Batman outfit they will uh, it will strike fear into their hearts so I'm intrigued to see what how the the design of the suit goes for for Melvin Potter definitely yeah so I think um with that is there any final notes that you've got on the episode I've just got one note and it's just about a scene um a particular one that stood out it is uh, it's where Fisk is being brought into the hospital room to be told to, are supposed to be given the update on Vanessa. Um, I love how the scene is shot. I love that it focuses on Wesley. It focuses on him just hearing Fisk get the news, essentially. Um, it's not doesn't focus on Fisk or what the news is. It just simply has the camera pointed at Wesley for the scene, just showing the support structure that's there for uh, for Fisk. I thought that was really good. Yeah, no, I think um, I my two points um, really are... You know, we get to see here that really Matt and Claire are not going to be a an item, and right. we definitely see that she is going away for a while, leaving the city, and um, to take a break, a holiday, or or something, but mm-hmm. essentially move on. But she will always be there and um, for him. And then the other aspect that we do find out is that um, Madame Gao has reported back via Leyland Owsley that she will stand with. Fisk and Wesley, if need be. Mm-hmm. So 
in relation to sort of some of the first points that we we discussed, you know, there's the suggestion here that the attack on um, the don the donor benefit um, held by Wilson Fisk wasn't necessarily done by uh, Madame Gao. So that seems to be what's being suggested here. Yeah. Not necessarily the case, but again, just a, another little interesting point just to to take note of. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Again, I suppose it's coming from a specific narrator that we've said could possibly be covering his own track. So whether he even spoke to Gao or not, we'll probably find out very soon uh, what his involvement is. Yeah, no, exactly. So I think with that then, Derek, do you defend uh, this episode of Daredevil? Definitely. I definitely defend this episode of Daredevil. Um, obviously, episode by episode, we're getting close, closer and closer to the end of the season. And as we go on, there seems to be more and more coming in and more and more connections to previous episodes. It's difficult at this stage to, uh, I suppose, to review one episode after the other. Um I kind of just want to crack on and see the other two episodes now. This is, this was brilliant. I want to see the impact of the death of Wesley on uh, on Wilson Fisk. I want to see what the impact on Karen is of kill, killing Wesley, what this is going to do for her uh, now that she knows that essentially Fisk's right-hand man was sent to kill her. Um, it's kind of interesting. Will this make her even more determined to go after Fisk or will she go into hiding now knowing that they are watching her? Um, yeah, really, really, really good episode. Delighted. Uh, John? Do you defend this episode of Daredevil? I do, very much so. I thought this was a great episode. I would definitely give this four Wesleys out of five. I really, really liked it. I thought, you know, it brought Wesley out from the shadow of Wilson Fisk, albeit briefly. I am definitely sad that the character will no longer be there. I really wish that Toby Leonard Moore could have had some more time you know there's a bit of sweetness to to this it was a really great scene but at the same time i would have loved to have seen toby leonard more and um, do even more with wesley i'd love what he's done mm-hmm. in, in this um first season of daredevil but um it's certainly r.i.p to to wesley it would appear it also i think then brought karen again out of the shadows as well or of being the central player um in trying to make her point to Ben Oric, Matt Murdock, and Foggy Nelson, mm-hmm. and ultimately doing the 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 fatal deed um, on 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 Wesley again just was really really good, um, and I loved again her character elements in this show. Mm-hmm. I think we see the development now that you know the suit is coming um, with Matt's interaction with Melvin Potter. Yep. We're getting the red suit soon enough. Uh, can't wait to see that. I know I've seen you know, the top half of it, but I want to see all of it. I really want to see it in action before I kind of make up any definite um, thoughts on it. Um, And then again, it opens up and and resolves aspects of Matt's uh, and Claire Temple's uh, relationship as Mm. well. And I thought that was good. And also then keeping the main intrigue of who's responsible for the poisoning of Vanessa. Were they actually trying to go after Wilson Fisk? Um, And who is this? Who's this new enemy uh, in town? Or is it a familiar enemy um, who is hiding um, in the shadows? So that... All of that really rounded out nicely in this episode, and it was a really, really, really good episode. Loved it. Yeah. So the next episode that we have will be episode 12 of Daredevil, and that is entitled The Ones We Leave Behind. And you'll be able to find um, that on defenderstvpodcast.com forward slash iTunes, and that will be out on the Thursday after after this uh, episode. 
We're going to talk about some feedback and comments in, in, in a moment. But remember, if you have any thoughts on this episode, any comments you want to, to dish out um, and any feedback, please, you can do that through our website, feedback at defenderstvpodcast.com. You can tweet at us. Our Twitter handle is at DefendersCast. Or you can join our page or group. Again, search Defenders TV Podcasts on Facebook. Um, but I think with that, then, we can move on to our feedback. So we got a piece of feedback in from Jamie Van Dusen, uh, just about Wilson Fisk. And um, we're going to actually hold that over until the final episode. I have read the feedback, and thanks very much, Jamie. Uh, really good of you to send it in. Yeah, it uh, definitely throws up some uh, intriguing questions that I think the reason why we want to just hold on to it is so that all four of us, um, myself and obviously Derek, but also Irene and Chris, can um, have a chat about it and a little discussion about it because um, it certainly throws up some interesting points. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So thanks very much for emailing us to feedback at DefendersTVPodcast.com. Uh, John, do you want to give us our other piece of feedback? Yeah, we've received some feedback from... Um, Rebecca, Rebecca Sylvester. She says, good morning, Defenders. Um, and this is some Age of Ultron feedback. So if you haven't seen Age of Ultron, again, spoilers. there will be spoilers. Uh, when you do see it, go listen to our Age of Ultron uh, spoiler-filled podcast. But this is all about Age of Ultron, so if you want to switch off now, uh, we will be spoiling some little bits and pieces about it. So. Like all good fans, Rebecca has watched Age of Ultron twice um, uh, before sending on this feedback. And she basically um, has said, It struck me in your review podcast when you mentioned Our Girl Friday and her Irish accent, which uh, you seemed uh, to imply was cartoonish and ridiculous. Uh, she goes on to say, the, the US cut of the film did have Friday with an Irish accent as well, but I thought it was very understated. There are times when, to my ear, some of you have a much more pronounced accent than did the AI in the film. <laughs> it's probably true. Probably very true. I would say that's very true. I remember everyone in the, the cinema, and it, it wasn't necessarily just us, but everyone in the cinema here in, in Dublin, uh, when we watched it, uh, laughed as well uh, at this. And I suppose it's more just the fact that you don't really hear your your own accent. I mean... I know for me, I am someone who was born in uh, England and who now lives over in Ireland. So um, I certainly noticed that the reaction of Irish uh, people listening to that, maybe it was just taken off guard because normally you've been hearing that Queen's English accent or that more uh, neutral accent coming from Jarvis, who's yeah. played by Paul Bettany. Mm -hmm. So maybe it was just that that sudden jump in in the accent but i i think it was more that we um seemed to just get it was a bit of a shock to hear that yeah. and and it became really heavily accented not in a in a neutral way i think um it would be like having a cockney londoner or a liverpudlian uh, being the the voice of jarvis that mm -hmm. i would say for people in in the uk would have cause similar amounts of hilarity. Yeah, but thanks very much for answering the question. We obviously know now that, uh, that the Irish accent of Jarvis or the Irish accent of Girl Friday um, will be was around the world or was it was the one that was used around the world. Yeah, exactly. The other thing then that Rebecca goes on to say is on our, one other topic that I believe that you may have touched on briefly that really struck me on the rewatch was the theme of monstrousness, um, especially as it relates to our heroes. Beyond the obvious Hulk and Black Widow, many of the other characters also refer to themselves as monsters. Interesting. 
Tony Stark references himself as not a monster at one point and also defends himself against monstrousness in regards to the business of dealings with the claw. Even Cap has his moments. What kind of monster would let a German scientist experiment on him to save his country? A veiled reference to himself, of course. He also says, it's not about beating Ultron, it's about proving we're not monsters. Hawkeye, while I don't think he ever said anything about the subject directly, did joke about being less than human, or maybe more than human, and made of plastic when Dr. Cho was repairing his wound. I appreciate that what the movie was trying to do, which it seems to me is basically what Daredevil is also doing, and doing more successfully. They're blurring the line between hero and villains, between gods and monsters. Mm. It's interesting that Hawkeye's wife says that she could tell the difference between his new skin and the rest of him directly after questioning whether or not he should stay on a team made of made up of non-humans gods as they say for the most part i think we can include iron man in this category Mm -hmm. really interesting uh point of view actually um and certainly there there was a lot of referencing to monsters and monstrousness within age of ultron Mm -hmm. and then that comparison to to daredevil which i think i would agree with you that daredevil um has been more successful in in uh, exploring that dichotomy of good and bad gods and monsters uh, between obviously uh, Matt Murdock and Wilson Fisk and that blurred line between good and bad, right and wrong and so on I, I think is um, is probably about right yeah, yeah, thanks very much for that feedback Rebecca, really good, um, just one of the points that I want to make, um, keep your feedback coming in about Age of Ultron, we'll, we'll keep covering it as we go and make sure you send in your feedback for, on Daredevil, we'll be recording the last episode of that very soon, um, so keep getting your, your feedback in on Daredevil uh, one point for me though, um, have a listen to the Empire podcast, they've got a great spoiler filled uh, podcast a discussion with Joss Whedon, uh, where he talks about some of the elements he had to cut from the from the movie, and talks about some of the direction that was given to him by Marvel about what he could have in the film and what he couldn't. I think he's probably quite tired of uh, of having to, I suppose, guide such a huge universe. He's, probably, he's he's done a lot of work on it. It's probably time for him to work on a bit of a smaller film. But uh, I, I'll put a link of that link to that in the show notes, and um, so you can listen to that that podcast as well. It's really good. Yeah, and so. Thanks so much for for all the feedback. And remember, feedback at DefendersTVPodcast.com or you can send us feedback or comments through um, at DefendersCast on Twitter or at DefendersTVPodcast on our Facebook page or group. So please um, send in any thoughts or comments that you wish to uh, and we will obviously read them out on air. Um, With that, we have some news items as well that you may be interested in. Um, We have heard, uh, as I'm sure you have at this stage as well, but that Agent Carter has been renewed for a season two Mm -hmm. and that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. has also been renewed for season three. So that's really good news for the Marvel Universe. Mm -hmm. And really interested to see how Agent Carter uh, goes for a season two because... Um, it may not have necessarily have been to everyone's taste. But then, coming back to the next instalment of the Marvel Netflix um, series of stories, and one that we will be podcasting about, a.k.a. Jessica Jones, um, 
it was reported um, that Amazon released a, a a more rounded description of the character of Jessica Jones mm. and, and the the world in which she's going to live in. Um, and basically, um, here's the description. Ever since her short-lived stint as a superhero ended in tragedy, Jessica Jones has been rebuilding her personal life and career as a hot-tempered, sardonic, badass private detective in Hell's Kitchen, New York City. Plagued by self-loathing and a wicked case of PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, um, Jessica battles demons from within and without, using her extraordinary abilities as an unlikely champion for those in need especially if they're willing to cut her a check. Yeah, so really interesting to see some of these elements that they're bringing in and some some of the descriptions. So it it looks like it's going to stick quite close to the the basic concept of of Jessica Jones, um, uh, the storyline of of how she was a former superhero and no longer is. Uh, They're not giving too much away, no huge spoilers there about about the actual show, but she has some interesting points. Yeah, it just rounds out the main thrust of of the show uh, in in terms of where it's set, and and that's nice to know. So um, that's again confirmation of that kind of direction that AKA Jessica Jones is is going to head in. Yeah, and this came from a from essentially an art book. It's a it's a companion volume that's going to be out in about November of this year, a couple of, a couple of weeks probably before Jessica Jones gets released. Uh, we know it's coming at the end of this year. Um, there is also a Daredevil art book companion piece just like this one that's coming out in, in September of this year, uh, which, again, goes in behind the scenes, gives loads of, of behind the scenes information. And I'm definitely going to be picking that one up as well. The other news that we got this week was uh, that Rosario Dawson has been confirmed for season two of Daredevil and more. Um, really interesting, specifically about the and more that's on there. So it looks like Rosario Dawson's character of Claire Temple is going to definitely appear in the second season of, uh, of Daredevil. But. But the fact that she's got the Anne Moore, this could be the connective tissue that could be uh, could be combining the shows of Jessica Jones, of Luke Cage, of Iron Fist. I'm wondering is she going to be the one that tends to all their wounds as we uh, as we go through these episodes? These these characters tend to get into a lot of fights, you know, so they will need a night nurse to take care of them. So I'm, I'm intrigued to see if it's Rosario Dawson, uh, or is it just commenting on the fact that she can be brought into a Marvel film there. Yeah, I mean, well, we already know that Mike Coulter's going to be um, within AKA Jessica Jones, so there's that connective tissue that's um, already there. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens when uh, AKA Jessica Jones comes out to see how involved Rosario Dawson will be. So with that, um, that's all the news that we have, and brings us to a close of this episode of Defenders TV Podcast. Really like to thank you all for, for listening and we'll be back again with episode 12 of Daredevil, Those We Leave Behind. Um, so thank you so much for listening. Bye. Thank you. Bye now. If we don't get a chance to talk, you take care of yourself. <laughs>